want to tell you a little story uh, about a time uh, when my family uh, went to a hobby store. So when we, when little guy was really little, we go to this hobby store. And I, I want to tell you about this, this act of compassion that I saw in this hobby store that still kind of chokes me up to this day. So we go to this hobby store down in Sherrillville. It's the corner of uh, 41 and 30. I don't know if it's there anymore, but there's a little hobby store. And we go in to the hobby store. And at this point in his life, my son loved trains. Loved trains. So we go into the hobby store and he makes a beeline for trains. He's maybe three, maybe four years old. So we're kind of watching him and he's playing with the trains and playing with the trains for 45 minutes. He plays with the trains. And we're kind of, you know, we're keeping an eye on him and looking at different stuff. We're thinking about getting him a train table. He doesn't know this. So he's playing with this train table. All right. And just and uh, and we say, okay, it's time to go. And like any normal three, four year old child, he says, oh, wonderful idea, folks. I just finished playing, and I'm ready to go. Let us go, parental units. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> you know, you know, that's not how it happened. The, I'm going to say one of the top five. One of the top five meltdowns in his entire life. Right there on the floor of the hobby shop in front of us, screaming, yelling, shouting, crying, losing his mind. My wife. Now, if you don't know my wife, you need to know my wife because she is literally, the, she is the definition of the word lovely. My wife is one of the loveliest people I've ever met in my entire life. And some of you would agree because you know who she is. And my, my wife, Shannon, is amazing. And so... She doesn't berate him. Now, dad is like, this is not cool. Mom, compassionate. Just this deep love, heartfelt compassion. And she, with her bad back and everything, gets down on the floor and just holds him while he cries it out. And, and it was just this beautiful act of compassion that she understood and she hurt for him because he didn't understand when you're three four years old you don't understand when you're 45 years old you don't understand when you have to do when you got to do something you don't want to do right but but she just held him with compassionate love until he was ready to go and then we got up and we left you know sometimes we need someone to show us compassion we need that compassion in our lives. That when we are, when we feel lost, we need, to, we need someone to come looking for us in compassion and love. When we feel lonely, we need someone in compassion to come and sit beside us. When we feel afraid, we need someone with compassion to come be near us and maybe hold our hands it, when we're going through the things that make us lose our tempers when we have those temper tantrums anybody ever have a temper tantrum in the last week 
<laughs> you know, when we throw those temper tantrums, when we throw those fits, sometimes we throw them at one another. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. Sometimes it's we throw a temper tantrum, we throw a temper fit at God. God, don't you see me down here? I'm so lost. And I need your help. And God seems a million miles away. We throw a temper tantrum. We do. Or when we feel lonely. God, don't you know that I'm tired of being alone? I'm single. Or I'm single again. And I don't want to be. And I, I just... I feel so lonely. We throw a temper tantrum at God. When we're afraid, afraid that things aren't going to work out the way we want them to, afraid that things aren't going to go the way that we think they should, afraid that we're going to fail again, we throw a temper tantrum at God and say, God, I'm so scared. Can't you just comfort me? Can't you just help me? Yeah. We throw those temper tantrums, don't we? And God is a loving God of compassion. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Mark. We started the series a few weeks ago, here at the beginning of 2019. If you haven't been here with us uh, for a while, or if you haven't been with us at all before, we are studying the book of Mark. Now, the book of Mark is a gospel, and a gospel is simply a biography of Jesus. And this was written from the perspective of the Apostle Peter, who was a traveling companion of a man named Mark. And Mark wrote down all the stories that, uh, that Peter told about what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And he compiled them in this book that we know as the book of Mark or the gospel of Mark. So um, we started the series a couple weeks ago. We're going all the way up through Easter Sunday. We're covering one chapter a week. Uh, and we are motoring through it. And it's a lot of ground to cover, but I think we're doing okay so far. Everybody tracking? How many of you are doing the reading on, on your bulletin? Anybody following along in the bulletin? So uh, every week we put uh, Monday through Friday a different passage to read for the upcoming sermon. So if you know, if you've followed along, you know this week in chapter 6 we're talking about our compassionate Savior, Jesus. Um, and so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to cover this in about five pieces uh, this story of Mark chapter 6. It's 56 verses long, so it's a really long chapter. We're not going to read all those verses, but we're going to read just a few of them. If you brought a Bible, uh, grab it and turn to Mark chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 711 of that Bible, page 711, open 24-7. Um, you should have your Bible open 24-7. Um, I just made that up. I'm pretty clever. Um, so we're on page 711 of the Bible and chair in front of you, or you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet like Bible Gateway or YouVersion. Uh, and coming up in three weeks, we're going to introduce a brand new tool here at GFCC that you can use uh, for taking notes in your sermons and stuff. It's going to be cool. It is going to be cool. So we're very looking, looking very much forward to that. So right now we are in uh, Mark chapter 6. And so this whole book of Mark, in the book of Mark, Jesus is always on the move. He's always on the move. He's going somewhere. He's going from somewhere to somewhere else. He's in a boat. He's on land. Um, he walks. Uh, he walks on water. We're going to see that tonight. So Jesus is always on the move. That's why we're calling this series Walking with Jesus. And so here in Mark chapter 6, 
he goes from his uh, base of operations, the place where he usually is staying, which is Capernaum, and he goes to Nazareth, which is his hometown, the town where he was raised. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. His family uh, fled to Egypt for two years, and then they settled in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And then when he began his ministry, he centered his ministry in a, the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was 20 miles from Nazareth. So Jesus is becoming very well known. He's wildly popular. People are flocking to him. Everywhere he goes, he's attracting large crowds of people. And his renown and his fame are spreading like crazy, like wildfire. And everybody knows about Jesus. And everybody knows what he's been doing, that he's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching in the synagogues. So everywhere Jesus goes, people are just all over him. And so in Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, when I first, when I grew up here in Northwest Indiana, I grew up in Crown Point, um, when I thought about coming back here uh, to become a pastor in this area, uh, this passage came to mind um, because I was really concerned about, you know, I mean, people here know me. I mean, like, know, like, what a jerk I was in high school, <laughs> you know, and it, it's true. I know, hard to believe, but um, uh, I was afraid to come back here. You know, what if I run into somebody who I knew in high school and they're like, what are you doing here? It's like, I'm the pastor of the First Christian Church of Griffith. And they're like, you? What? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of scary. Well, Jesus goes back to his hometown. And when he gets to his hometown, he goes to the synagogue to teach. Now, now look at verses 3 and 4. So they're like, who is this guy? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to him, to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. When the people are looking at Jesus, they're not amazed by him in a positive way. More of an, in, in an incredulous way, like, who do you think you are? Hometown boy, now the big star, now the big cheese, the hometown boy. And they were ripping on him. They were making fun of him. Who do you think you are? We know you. You know, <laughs> when you grow up in a church, you know, and, and you get older and you get into leadership and things like that, you know, people look at you and go, I remember when I used to change your diaper. You know, it's like, and you know, some of those people are looking at Jesus like, I remember when I used to change your, whatever they had. I don't know if they had diapers or not, but, but who do you think you are? Who do you think you are coming back here and, and teaching us and telling us and, and why haven't you done any miracles here? Miracle man. You're going all over the world, healing people, casting out demons, all these things. Why haven't you done any of that here? You just forgot all about your, your friends, your family back here in Nazareth? And it says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles in there. Except a few. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. That if anybody should have believed in him, it should have been his family. It should have been his friends. It should have been his hometown. But no. So we move on. Uh, Jesus leaves there and uh, him and uh, he goes around from village to village teaching and, and he calls his 12 disciples to him 
and he's going to send them out two by two into the world to do what he had been doing. So they had been watching him for a while, and he was going to send them out to do the same things that he was doing, casting out demons. Uh, he was going to send them out to um, uh, heal people and, uh, and to teach and preach repentance. So look at verses 8 through 11. Uh, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. In other words, you're going to trust God to provide. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And it makes me think of Jesus' own experience in Nazareth. That he's kind of shaking the dust from his, from his sandals because they wouldn't listen to him. I like the way that the New Living Translation puts verse 11. Check this out. It says, But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Now, that doesn't sound very Jesus-like, does it? But, but it's true. Those who weren't going to accept his message, whose hearts were hard, he said, nope, you've got to shake, your, shake the dust from your sandals and move on to those who will accept the message. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, Jesus uh, goes out uh, and he sends his disciples out two by two and they go out and they do their thing. Uh, they're preaching and they're teaching and they're uh, casting out demons and they're uh, anointing the heads of, oil, of sick people with oil and uh, they're healing the sick. It's, it's amazing what's going on. Um, now here's the thing. You've heard me say time and again that Jesus would tell people don't tell anyone what happened to you, right? And maybe you've thought to yourself, well, why? Why does Jesus keep telling people not to talk about what he did for them? And this next passage is the reason why. See, Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to the religious leaders of his day. He's a threat to the political leaders of his day. And he didn't want the politicians and the religious leaders finding out what he was doing because it was going to bring his ministry to an end even faster than it was going to end. And so Jesus goes, and, and, and uh, King Herod finds out, he starts to hear about Jesus. Now, there was a King Herod who was in charge of the entire region of Palestine. He had three children, three sons. And one of them was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas uh, was the regional leader, uh, the governor over Galilee. He had a brother, Philip, a half-brother, Philip. And so... <laughs> Herod Antipas caught the ire of John the Baptist. You see, we kind of forgot about John the Baptist. He appears way back in chapter 1, and then we don't see him again until here when we find out that he's been beheaded. It's like, wait a minute, Mark. What happened there? Well, it seems that Herod Antipas uh, kind of took a shine to his brother, half-brother Philip's wife, Herodias. He liked her. He lusted after her. And one day he says, hey, why don't we get married? She wouldn't marry him unless he divorced his wife, which he did. Oh, 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 just one little interesting tidbit about Herodias and Herod Antipas uh, is that not only was Herodias his half-brother's wife, but he w she was also his niece. It's Rome, okay? Just, just chalk it up to Rome. <laughs> Rome. Um, so this is Herod's niece and half-sister-in-law. 
And he's like, I want to marry you. She's like, divorce your wife. So he does. And this caught the attention of one John the Baptist. And John the Baptist preached against Herod and Herodias, saying, your marriage is not lawful. And this enraged Herodias. And all she wanted to do was kill John the Baptist. Well, Herod liked listening to John the Baptist. Uh, look at verses 19 and 20 as we pick it up here. It says, uh, Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. I know he's talking bad about me. I know he's talking trash to me, but I still like listening to the guy. Kind of strange. So, one night, Herodias' daughter is dancing at a party that Herod throws for all of his friends and generals. So he's throwing this big party, and Herodias' daughter is dancing. And it pleases Herodias, uh, Herod, Herod Antipas. And Herod says to Herodias, Herodias' daughter, tell you what, your, your, ple your dancing pleases me, and I will give you anything you want, up to half my kingdom. I don't know who this dude is, but dude... So I'll give you half my kingdom if you ask for it. So she goes to her mother. She goes to Herodias and says, what do you want? He's going to give me whatever I ask for. And this is what Herodias says. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. This is, <laughs> this is a messed up story. So Herodias goes to, uh, Herodias' daughter goes to Herod Antipas and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he didn't want to do it but a promise is a promise. So John the Baptist, who was in prison, who had been in prison, the executioner goes, cuts his head off, puts it on a platter, gives it to Herodias' daughter, who takes it to her mother. And that's the end of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was Jesus' relative. And so Jesus is heartbroken. We read in the other Gospels that Jesus was heartbroken over this series of events. Well, the disciples come back. The disciples come back, uh, and uh, they report to Jesus what was going on. And uh, they were all excited. They're all, you know, casting out demons. We're teaching and healing people. It's all great and everything. And Jesus is just heartbroken. And he says, we need to go away. Uh, look at verses 32 and 33. It says, they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed... now. Verse 34 to me is the crux of the book of Mark. This is who Jesus is. This is the most important verse in this chapter. It may be the most important verse in the book. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Uh, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. And the ancient Greek word for the word compassion is a word Splachna. That <laughs> sounds disgusting, right? And it is. Because it literally means guts, bowels, or intestines. That's what that word means. Splachna. Sounds like it, right? Man, I got such pain in my splachna. Right? Exactly. Too many, too many brat horses at the bear game. <laughs> but that's what it means. It means intestines or guts or bowels. In, in other words, it is to be so filled with concern and so filled with love for somebody 
that it hurts, like right here. And do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that way about somebody? Maybe it was your child, maybe it was your spouse or your parents, a brother, a sister, a friend, that they were going through something and it hurt so bad. And it hurt right here. And you just hurt for them so intensely. That's how Jesus felt about the crowds who were following him. They were not a nuisance. They were not a bother. Remember, you're not a bother to the Father last week? Yep. They weren't a bother. They weren't a nuisance. They weren't annoying. Jesus loved them. And he had compassion on them. And he hurt for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And and we'll get into that in just a second. So he begins to teach them many things. Well, it comes to the end of the day. And uh, they haven't eaten all day. And everyone's getting hungry. And, and the disciples go to Jesus and say, man, we've got to send these folks away because they're hungry and, and it's almost time, it's almost dinner time. And look at verse 37. He answered, you give them something to eat. <laughs> There's 12 disciples. There's, we're going to find out how many people in just a second, you know. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus says, what you got? They look around. We have five small little loaves of bread and two little fish, like two little sardines. Bring them to me. Jesus has the crowd sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds. And he begins to, he, he cries out to God and he, he blesses the food and he thanks God for it and he begins to divide it up. And handing it out and handing it out and handing it out and handing it out. And everybody was eat, had eaten until they were satisfied. Men, women, and children all gathered around. And in fact, there were 12 basketfuls of food left over. And Mark says that the number of men, just the number of men that were there was 5,000. So with five tiny little biscuits and two little sardines, Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus women and children. There may have been as many as fifteen to 25,000 people there that day. This is one of the only miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels because it's powerful. It's something in the hands of Jesus, a life, a heart, a, a purpose, a dream. Something in the hands of Jesus can be something so much more than we could ever imagine it could be. So Jesus sends his disciples across after this miracle and people are just dumbfounded. He sends his disciples across the lake And he's going to go off by himself and pray for a little bit. And that's what he does. Look at verses 51 and 52. So the disciples go across the boat, uh, across the the lake, and they're out in the middle of the lake. And um, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. (laughs) He comes walking on the water to them. And um, they they, they cry out, they scream out, they're scared, they're terrified because they think they've seen a ghost. Now in those days, if you saw a ghost at night, it was a sign of impending doom. And so they think, we are doomed. We are dead meat. This is a ghost. And this is what Jesus says, verse 51. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. These are his followers, his disciples, the ones who had just gone out and were preaching in his name and preaching repentance and, and healing people and casting out demons. 
and they don't get it. They still don't get it, who Jesus is and what could Jesus do. And so when he comes walking on the water out to them, their first, their thought, their first thought should have been, oh, look, there's Jesus. He can do that. Of course he can. Now, here's the thing about, okay, I got 30 seconds to tell you this funny little thing. My brain works in funny ways sometimes. And so I was, I was wondering, like, you know, is Jesus standing at the shore going, should I? Can I? I don't know. Hmm. And then he goes like, step, step, out on the water. It's like, <laughs> you know, like the scene in The Incredibles when Dash runs across the water. You know, and Jesus is like, <laughs> and he just walks out of the water. Out of the, I don't know. I don't know. How do you know? How does Jesus know that he can walk on water? That's what I want to know. It's a question I got. Like at the Q&A booth in heaven, you know, it's like, Jesus' little TED talk and ask any question. It's like, how did you know? When did you figure that out? My brain works funny ways. Probably punishment coming my way for that at some point. But they didn't understand who Jesus was. They didn't get it. But look at verse 56. This is the transition because things are going to change from here on out. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. This sums up the first part of Jesus' ministry. We're going to start with the new part next week, but before we do that, I want to talk about three areas of our lives, three areas of your life where Jesus has compassion for you. The first is this, Jesus hurts for you when you feel lost. Jesus hurts for you when you feel lost lost and and i don't know where you feel like you've been i don't know where you feel like you're going i don't know if you feel lost tonight i'm telling you you may feel like one of those sheep because jesus said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and sheep without a shepherd do one thing they get lost and sometimes in our lives we feel lost too and you may feel like you've been lost for a while or you may feel like you are getting lost or you may feel like you may never be found but i'm here to tell you Jesus hurts for you when you feel lost. Because feeling lost is a terrible feeling. Don't ask your man, because he won't tell you what it feels like to feel lost, because he won't he'll ever admit that he's ever been lost. But he has. I'm sorry, guys. I'm revealing a secret that we're all sworn to protect. But there are times in our lives when we feel lost. Times in our lives we get lost, and we get scared when we get lost. It's a terrible feeling to feel like you're lost, but I'm here to tell you Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who is looking for you. He is looking for you. And he's not going to stop looking for you until he finds you. Jesus is the compassionate, excuse me, the compassionate shepherd who is looking for you. Jesus hurts for you when you feel lost. Jesus hurts for you when you feel lonely. Because lost sheep are lonely. They get lost by themselves. And Jesus hurts for you when you feel lonely. When you feel like there's no one there. When you feel like no one cares. Jesus hurts with you, for you because he is the compassionate friend who will never leave you. Jesus is a compassionate friend who will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. 
Jesus hurts for you when you feel lost. Jesus hurts for you when you feel lonely. And Jesus hurts for you when you feel afraid. And there are times in our lives when we feel pretty scared, when we get pretty scared, and, and we don't know how we're going to survive. We don't know how we're going to make it, whether it's financial or health-related or it's uh, uh, a relationship that, you know, it, it, you know what I'm talking about, that you get scared sometimes. You don't know how things are going to go. You don't know how things are going to work out. And you get scared and, and, and you start to panic a little bit or you start to panic a lot. And you make dumb choices and you make stupid decisions because that's what we do when we get scared, right? We, we make dumb decisions. And we're worried that God's not going to love us and that God's not going to forgive us and that God's not going to care about us and that the opposite is true, that God does care for us and Jesus hurts for you when you are afraid because Jesus is the compassionate Savior who can calm your fears. So will you let him? Will you let him calm your fears? Will you let him love you compassionately? Will you let him find you if you're lost? Quit hiding and turn to your shepherd who's looking for you. You're not alone and he is seeking after you. Do you know him? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend Jesus? Because he's compassionate. And he is kind-hearted. And he is loving. And he is good. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and the compassionate Savior that I know, by believing in him and repenting from sin and confessing your faith and getting baptized, and you've got to do this. You have got to put your faith and trust in Christ because he can change everything. He can wash away the past and forgive the past, and, and he can give you a, a bright and glorious future. He can change your life, and he can change your destiny. And if you feel alone, if you feel uh, lost, if you feel scared. Jesus is your compassionate friend. And when he comforts you in your fear, when he comes beside you in your loneliness, when he pulls you out of that lostness, he asks you to do one thing. Tell others. Share that compassion with others, the compassion that you have received. Share that with other people. And when we do that, we bring honor and glory to Jesus, and that is the purpose of our lives. To bring honor and glory to Jesus.